Welcome to Purposely Catholic. This program is a critical part of how we assist parents with children in living up to their call to be the primary catechists and teachers of the faith in their homes. Over the course of our time together, we'll hear from Father Len McMillan as we discuss matters of the faith central to every Catholic family. Thank you for joining us. Hello, my name is Father Len McMillan. I'm the pastor of St. Pius Parish here in Coeur d'Alene, and this is Purposely Catholic. And this week we have two new guests. Uh, I'll let them introduce themselves. Nancy, do you want to start first? Sure. I'm Nancy Kasner, and um, I volunteer at Holy Family Catholic School, go to St. Thomas, um, lived in Coeur d'Alene my whole life. Go ahead, Pete. I'm Peyton Davis. I am a student at Holy Family Catholic School, and I have also gone to St. Thomas my entire life. Wow, I can't believe you guys are native Idahoans. That's I'm not even that. I'm from Montana originally. Wow, you guys are a rare breed. Yes. yes. So we're here to discuss the Ten Commandments, and as I understand, the first three commandments, right? Correct, yes. So before we start talking about the Ten Commandments, they're actually technically not called the Ten Commandments. So um, they're actually called the Decalogue, which means the Ten Words. Um, it's only in English we call them the Ten Commandments. So God gives us Ten Words. So when God speaks, God gives us Ten Words. And I, I like that because it keeps coming up in the Bible. Like, believe it or not, Genesis is the first Decalogue where God says Ten Words, Ten Sentences in Seven Days. And then... So even creation itself is a description of God. And then um, uh, Moses gets the Ten Commandments, actually gets ten words. Um, and before thinking of them as commandments in the sense of you've got to obey these rules, I want to take a, a different direction. This is God's teaching, so ten words. Um, and before you think of it as rules, Think about this. This sounds kind of strange. And why don't you think about it, two things? One is the can commandments are about love and about freedom. The love part is a little strange in the sense that um, when Moses goes out to Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, that whole thing is a wedding ceremony. The Passover and the Ten Commandments, it's part of actually this wedding ceremony, that Sinai was this wedding ceremony. And the wedding actually starts with the Passover, of the, the drinking of the cup. Um, and if you studied, not that you have to, um, ancient, how ancient weddings were done, uh, ancient Jewish wedding was based on this whole Sinai incident. So when a couple would get married, they replay the whole Sinai incident. So it's a wedding. Um, and so that. what's that? I never knew that. All right, stick <clears throat> with me. I'll teach you things I didn't know. <laughs> um, okay. so this sounds kind of strange. Like, uh, you know, the Holy, the God comes down in the cloud that's done at a Jewish wedding too. At a Jewish wedding, they take this thing called a prayer shawl, uh, a hopa, and they put on 10 poles. And let's say Nancy's getting married. Then the family would hold the prayer shawl, the hopa, and it symbolizes, oh, God came down in a cloud at Sinai. So God is hovering above the couple that are getting married. Now, I like that because, oh, there's a presence of God where two people commit their lives right. yeah. and you get to hold the prayer shawl while on these poles but technically and i like this nobody except the couple is allowed under the hopa the prayer shawl 
And the idea is that you got to support them in their marriage, but in no way do you ever stick your nose into other people's marriages. You're not allowed under the chopa. But before the whole ceremony, this sounds kind of strange, before they actually get married, there's this thing called the ketubah. And the ketubah is where the couple decide, okay, if this marriage is going to work, if we're going to really love each other, um, what are the things we have to agree to? So the Ten Commandments is this ketubah. Before they get married, um, what are the things that have to happen to make sure we stay in love? That's what the Ten Commandments is. It's the this is what you have to do. So it starts out with this great speech. The, the speech before the Ten Commandments is where God says to the people, I fell in love with you when you were a nothing people. You're the weakest of all people. You didn't even have land for yourselves. You're all slaves. And if this marriage is going to work, these 10 things can't happen or you'll fall out of love. So the Ten Commandments are about keeping this marriage. Um, and I love that, where God starts by saying, no, no, I fell in love with you. I'm going to marry you. But the ketubah is never do these things. Love never does these things. Um, and sadly, before the wedding is even finished, Peyton, what happens? Before the, the they're just working out the ketubah, what things? Um, before the wedding even starts, do you know what happens? I don't. The golden calf. Oh, yes, that's right. So, wow, they're engaged to get married and they're caught cheating on the groom before the ceremony. I mean, that's, that'd be a pretty horrible. Yes. So, um, uh, they, before the wedding was kind of delayed. So the prophecy is when the Christ comes, the Christ will restart the marriage. So the Christ is the bridegroom. Um, and the last supper it's a Passover meal. It's a wedding. And Jesus, before the Last Supper, or he's at the Last Supper, he goes, if you read the Gospel of John, chapters on what, if you're going to share in this meal, this is what love does. And he gives chapters and chapters on love. My commandment is love. Well, the Ten Commandments are really about love. If we're going to have this marriage between us and God, um, they're not rules for rule sakes, laws just to let you know you messed up. They're actually laws to make sure that you stay in love with God. So if you're Jewish and you eat the Passover meal, you're morally obligating yourself to the Ten Commandments. If you're Catholic and you eat the Passover meal, the Eucharist, you're obligated to a life of love. Um, so Judaism and Catholicism, how do you make a promise to God? Through a meal. So you eat the Passover meal. If you're Jewish, you're obligated to the Ten Commandments. If you're Catholic, you share in the Eucharist, you're obligated to the Ten Commandments, but a lot more. You're obligated to a whole life of love. So first, I want when we talk about the Ten Commandments, think about it in terms of love. But also you can think about it in terms of uh, freedom as well. Now, the Ten Commandments are the beginning of morality. Christ is going to deepen them a lot more. But so one is about freedom. Uh, the Ten Commandments can be seen as rules for love. They can also be seen as ways to uh, make sure you stay free. Because remember, there are slaves in Egypt. 
and they're slaves in Egypt. And God says, remember, I fell in love with you when you were nothing people. I fell in love with you when you didn't even have land for yourself. And if this love is going to work, you have to free other people. So if you eat ah, the Passover meal, you're obligating to free other people from whatever bondage they have. Same thing with the Eucharist, our Passover. You share in the Eucharist, you're making this promise to free other people from whatever bondage is holding them, whatever sin is holding them. Um, and um, so I, I love that. So the Ten Commandments are same way it's to make sure you stay in love. The Ten Commandments are also there to make sure you stay free. So stay free so that you can free other people from uh, their oppression. And um, there's, there's a Hebrew word, want to teach you. It's sa'ak. So Peyton say sa'ak. Sa'ak. It's a great Hebrew word. And it means to hear. God says, I heard your sa'ak. It's a theme that will keep coming up in the Bible. I heard your sa'ak. Sa'ak means, um, not here, it's a cry. Like if you're really in pain and hurting, that's a sa'ak. He said, you were slaves and I heard your sa'ak. So you must hear other people's sa'ak. You must hear when they're in pain. And so um, the story of the Ten Commandments actually starts by God hearing the people's sa'ak, this cry of pain and suffering. And so um, it comes up like Abel's blood, sa'ak's from the ground. Um, Moses' story starts when he hears the sa'ak of his fellow Hebrew suffering. So the Ten Commandments are rules so that you can stay free, so that you can hear other people. Um, and, and help guide them, right. guide them closer to God. Yeah. But So the Ten Commandments are, um, if you give in to always lying, it's going to ruin your heart. So you, It is. <laughs> that you can't free other people. You won't be free anymore. If you give in to uh, lying or cheating or stealing or greed, you lose your freedom and you can no longer hear other people's pain or free them. Does that make sense? So yes. think of it yeah. like not rules of if you do this, God is going to get mad. Think of this as rules, the 10 words that God says, do this so you stay free. Do this so you stay in love. And there's two halves to the 10 commandments. And you think it's going to be five and five. It's not. It's three and seven. So if you ever see an image of the Ten Commandments, you'll see one, two, three, and then seven through ten on the other tablet. Because three of the commandments deal with loving God, right? and seven commandments deal with loving neighbor. So there's two tablets. One is loving God. The other is loving neighbor. Does that make sense? Yes. So this one, we're just going to take the first three, right? Right. So the first commandment, pretty easy, where God says, I am the Lord your God. You shall worship the Lord your God. You shall serve no other gods. Um, and so that seems pretty obvious. But what it means, remember, if it's going to be about love, then if it's love, then um, your, your heart of heart is that you love God most of all. You're trying to always push love. Now, this the sin against love in this commandment is this presumption um, that, well, God loves me, so I don't really have to try that hard. <laughs> uh, but if God is the first commandment, 
then you have a life of prayer. Then you have a life of always trying to stay in love. The sin of presumption is, let's say Peyton goes home and leaves dirty dishes in the sink. And he thinks, oh, my mother loves me. She'll, she'll, she'll me. clean the dishes. I, she'll do I'll just dishes. ignore them. Does that make sense? Have yeah. you ever done that? No. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. Can, we're going to get a call out to his mother. <laughs> but <laughs> um, the point being is that... Um, uh, the first commandment is to stay in love with God, not to have this presumption. So Jews, it's in the Bible, demands that the first thing you do in the morning is pray this prayer. It's called the Shema, that you'll fall deeper and deeper in love. It's supposed to be with God. It's supposed to be the first thing you pray in the morning, the last prayer on your lips. So yes, I am the Lord, your God. You know, if this marriage is going to work, you can't be falling in love with things deeper than God. And I think today in our society, Father, a lot um, has changed where yeah. it's all about <clears throat> me. You know, what makes me happy, what I want to life. do. It's my life. And I think God has been taken out of that equation. Totally agree. We have so many idols these days. And people don't realize that they're idols. So that's a sin against love is to, I love myself more than God. They can say they love God, but they love their own politics or themselves or their own whatever more. Right. So that's a sin against the first commandment. You can also sin against the first commandment with a sin against hope. Um, by hope, um, I know this sounds kind of strange. If the love of your life is God, then we don't need to be in control. We don't need to be control freaks guiding everything. All will be well. Um, we're not victims. Um, does that make any... Oh, yeah. That doesn't make sense, does it? Um, well, a little bit. Okay, so um, you have to be careful not turning religion into magic. Um, and I'll say it this way. like, Have you ever seen any vampire movies where if you hold up a cross to the vampire, the garlic, <laughs> they run away? Yeah. I do like that, except for the fact that you just turn the cross into magic. Uh, the oh, faith, the, the cross doesn't have any power. You know, two sticks like this doesn't have any power itself. What has power is the faith in the cross um, that inspires us. Um, so like, a sin against the first commandment is to actually have hope in something other than God. Or sin against faith is if God is the first commandment, then shouldn't you have a prayer life? Shouldn't you be worshiping every Sunday? Um, does that make sense? Yes. And you're right when you said we have a lot of um, uh, narcissism. A lot of people say they love God, but they really love themselves most. And there's this commandment against graven images. Actually, take that back. It's not really graven images. It's idols. Um, and anything can be turned into an idol. Um, there's this great uh, American writer. Um, I forget his right name right now. He has three names. David something Foster Wallace. David Foster Wallace. He gives this great speech at a graduation. And he's not particularly religious. He tried to be an alcohol problem. But um, he tells the graduating class, he says, believe it or not, you will always end up worshiping something in your life. It's impossible not to spend your life worshiping something. If you worship beauty with every birthday, 
you're not going to like your future. (laughs) Beauty will fade. If you worship power, then you'll live in fear that someday somebody will take it away. If you live by your accomplishments, and he gives this great, really articulate example that, ah, he's right. Um, Everybody ends up worshiping something. Well, if that's true, um, why not worship God? So the sin against this is to worship idols. Now, some people say, well, Catholics worship idols because we have statues. But if you read the Bible, that doesn't make any sense because God commands statues. Think about this. On the tabernacle, on the Ark of the Covenant, he said, make two golden cherubs. Two angels are on, so two statues he commands. He doesn't make a commandment against statues. He makes a commandment against idols. Um, Just to go into the Holy of Holies in the temple, God commanded hundreds of these images of angels all around. Well, the Jews didn't worship them. Those statues led them to worship God better, not distract from God. Um, So the commandment is... uh, not against statues, it's against idols. But the problem is, in the modern world, we can turn anything into an idol. Well, we always have been. But a lot of people, they just worship themselves. Um, So you can choose to have God and have a life, or you can choose an idol that will always, you know, you'll end up worshiping yourself or power or beauty. Does that make sense? That does make sense, yes. Okay. So um, the the other odd part is in the Bible... God gives us what we choose. If we choose God, wow, then we receive God and the kingdom and other people. Um, If you choose gold and power, well, you may get that, but you'll lose the kingdom and God. Um, So like think about the story of Jacob and Esau. There's these two brothers in the Bible. Esau is the older brother and he's due to inherit the blessing. Yeah. But he's (coughs) presumptuous. And... To be honest, he just expects he's going to get everything. And so his brother Jacob, who's a little bit of a cheat, tricks him out. And he's hungry. And he says, well, give me some of that red porridge to eat. He says, I will if you sell me your birthright. And he says, oh, I'll, I'll sell you my birthright. But dad loves me most, so I'm still going to get it. Um, and Esau, the older brother, his he gets exactly what he wants. He gets the red porridge. Right but he loses the blessing. Um, And so God does give us what we want, even to our own destruction. And then we can learn like, oh, well, that that did not make me happy. I think I'm going to try God again. But the first commandment is um, uh, I'm going to stay in love with God. An idol is anything that I put above God. Okay, first commandment. Yeah. Second commandment, that's a... Uh, one about you shall not take the Lord's name. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, this one I have a little bit of a problem with because the commandment is you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. A lot of people, uh, if you're like in second grade, now how old are you? Are you in second grade? When? No. Okay. No. Um, eighth, grade. eighth grade. So a lot of people, I don't, I'm serious, Peyton. Let me know if you, understand what I'm talking about. Okay. But a lot of people think this just means to say GD, you know, that to damn something in yeah. God's name. That's partially correct, but partially. really not the main purpose of it. 
it, the commandment is not to say the Lord's name in vain. It's to take the Lord's name in vain. So this is a commandment against the misuse of religion. And this is the only one of the Ten Commandments where God says, you do that and I won't forget it. So what about this commandment that really ticks God off? Like this has to be a commandment that's equal to murdering somebody. And they think it means, I, I think we, I think kids are smarter. That yeah. it, God, like the name of God is not God. That's un, like, I know yeah. that sounds kind of strange. Like your name is not human right? No. My name is not human. No. God's name is not God. That's a description of his job description. Right. right. <laughs> um, Occupation. And there's many names of God. If you look in the Bible, there's many names of God, truth, beauty, justice. So I am. I am. Uh, Yahweh is his name. But the commandment then is to misuse religion, to take the Lord's name in vain for greed or power or wealth. It's to misuse religion for something other than the purpose of God. Like, um, it's over-exaggerated, but think about the Crusades, mm. you know, really, the Crusades. God never asked us to go kill other people in his name. No. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. Yes. Or 9-11, when um, the hijackers, um, killed all those people and as they flew the planes into the building they yelled god is great really god command you to kill thousands of people in this act of anger and violence the ten the thou shall not take the lord's name in vain is not just saying gd you shouldn't say that but technically that's yeah. cussing mm -hmm. it's actually misusing religion and i i don't know why it's not to me to misuse religion for your own end, to say God wants you to do this when God never said it. Um, I don't think people take this commandment. I think they take this commandment the least serious of all. Because how many, I mean, I've had so much experience in the misuse of religion, both in the Catholic church and in other religions. Like I personally think televangelists misuse the name of God just to gain millions and millions of dollars. That's exactly what I was thinking about was the televangelist. And God and never demanded you, you say those things. Right. And to put themselves up on a pedestal and have all these people worshiping them, um, donating to them and they're becoming richer and richer. In the name of God, I need a about. jet. I, <laughs> that has happened several times. This happened Can recently. Boat, please. What's that? Can I have a big boat, please? <laughs> big boat. And please. My own private jet in the name of, like, that's to the take the Jesus. Lord's name in vain. Does I'm that, glad you explained that. Does that make sense that's to yes, you, Peyton? Yes, it does. See, I think kids can understand that. I'm not that simple-minded. Well, you're not. But, like, I don't like how they undersell it just of not saying one, you know, that cuss phrase. Yeah. It's actually a far deeper sin. Yes. Um, And have you ever gone to adoration mm. you know what the sometimes that adoration they do the uh divine praises the names of god yeah, you know right mm -hmm. you know that came about um actually in the middle ages because of the misuse of religion so praising god's names as a counteraction of god asks us you know source of justice source of love 
uh, is to remind us not to take the Lord's name in vain, not to misuse religion. So, Very good point. so I think you could teach second graders, oh, it's a great sin to say, God wants you to do this when God never said that. And that really ticks God off. Um, love doesn't do that. Right. Okay. The third one is to keep the Lord's day holy, uh, to remember the Sabbath. Um, and, um, like my little, I guess I'm, I'm kind of cynical, probably never noticed that, mm -hmm. but when people say about keeping the Lord's, the Sabbath, you, they usually just mean to rest on the Sabbath. That's all they think it really means is to rest. Um, uh, now I have a little bit of a problem with that because, um, I think once again, that's not really what God was going after. Um, if you really study the rules of the Sabbath, what things do you have to do on the Sabbath? God commands you to do in the old Testament, God commands us to do something on the Sabbath. We have to gather together in a community, not by yourself. You have to offer bread and wine before the tabernacle on an altar right. by the priests. Mm -hmm. Now, that's called the Lechem Hapanin. You have to do that every Sabbath. And then when Christ comes, Christ lets us eat the bread and the wine turned into his body and blood. Yep. But in the Old Testament, that starts with this rule that on the Sabbath, you have to gather together as community and worship by offering bread and wine. Now, reason why I say that is that I've had so many times, hundreds of times in my life where somebody said, well, I keep the Sabbath. I go golfing. Really? I am 90% sure nowhere did God say on the Sabbath, make sure you spend time on your own pleasures. I'm sure you hit a hole in one. Yeah. I'm sure he did not say that. And people say, well, I, I find golf, God on the golf course. Good for you. I find God in a lot of places, yeah. but he didn't command that. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Um, and so that's the first thing to keep the Sabbath actually does require that you worship on the Sabbath, uh, offering the bread and wine. And for Catholics, it's eating the body and blood of Christ, but it's gathering together. The other thing is that they, they overuse the, uh, rest part. You're not allowed to do servile work. So yeah. like, this is what I kind of think. So like some people take this to an extreme. Are you allowed to do dishes on the Sabbath? Yes. Well, yeah, that's not servile work. That's cleaning up after yourself. Yeah. The servile work is this. Um, remember, this is pretty radical. If you were Jew of uh, Hebrew at the time of the 10 commandments of the Passover, what were you? What were you before that they received the 10 commandments? What were the Hebrew? Slaves. Slaves, yeah. And so one day a week, nobody is my master but God. So when it says servile work, it's not against doing housework, although I could try not to just because yeah. I want to keep that spiritual attitude. Right. For one day a week, we are all equal. Nobody's my master. Does that make sense? I yeah. don't. Um, so, like, the joke to me is think of Super Bowl Sunday. On Super Bowl Sunday, um, who is the one who really is the slave on Super Bowl Sunday? Do you have an idea, Peyton? I don't. Nancy, who's who's busy? The wife. 
It's the always woman. the mother. <laughs> the, the football players. <laughs> the football players. Oh, it's not the football players. They don't players. have a choice. <laughs> They're slaves. Yes. It's really why men in the house. It's a <laughs> like she is a slave all day long, cooking and cleaning. Like Let's make my nachos. Make my nachos. <laughs> I mean, it may not be that right, but that's not when it says rest. It really means I'm treated as an equal. But on Super Bowl Sunday, a mother is a slave to everybody else. Um, so I like to keep the Sabbath rest. Like, and when it says rest, it. Uh, rest is not really a good term because it means like taking a nap or something. Rest means to be completely free. On the Sabbath, I'm free. And it is amazing to me how people say that they're Catholic, but I get dozens of emails on a Sunday. And you can tell from the emails that people think I'm sitting at my desk answering emails. It's my Sabbath too. I may be working all day, but I'm not going to be answering emails. I'm not going to be doing... Um, that servile work that, I, you know, I have a little hoop to jump through on Sunday. No, on Sunday, we're all equal. I have, I am free. Does that make sense? Yeah. When I was growing up, Father, and I was younger, um, no stores were open on Sunday. We, we went to church. We came home. My mom always cooked a big family meal for us, but we didn't go shopping. Um, and now... All the stores are open, and it's like we have gotten away from observing this. You know, and yeah. think about that. It's another form of slavery. Because think about it, when you, the, the Jews, the Hebrew, they're in Egypt, and all they are is a means of production, a means of producing something. It's all about consumerism. You make bricks. Yeah. But uh, one day a week, I'm nobody's master. I don't have to serve anybody we've kind of gotten the back to being a slave on sunday by trying to produce a little bit i'll do answer a few emails i'll do some by shopping do some yard work well I, and yard work is okay maybe they find that pleasurable oh. but to be part of this economic putting more product out oh, buying yeah. more product that's exactly what it was against um when it says in Genesis, we're made in the in image of God, that's a, actually a political statement. That's a political statement. Because think if you were a Hebrew living in Egypt, you're nothing more than you're not a full human being. The only one who's the image of God would have been Pharaoh. And all you people, you serve Pharaoh. So when it says we're made in the image of God, no, wait a minute. Pharaoh and I are equals. We're both made in the image of God. Right. Um, and one day a week, I do not have to obey Pharaoh. I do. I am not just a means of work and labor, of producing consumerism. Now we got to the point where, I don't know, like I, I'll, I'll answer some more emails. I'll do some more work. I'll, you know, still it's about the economy and producing and yeah. buying. Um, so the odd part is I... I do love how Catholics believe the Ten Commandments are universal law, that it honors all people regardless of their affiliation or religious denomination and uh, all denominations. So the Ten Commandments are what we would call universal law. It's for all people, not just one religious group. That all people should be set free. All people should be loved. So like um, even the... Declaration of Independence says we 
uh, we hold these truths to be inalienable rights, self-evident. Uh, I think the same thing. We're made in the image of God. We're meant for love and freedom. So these are our rules for freedom. Um, it's a radical idea. So um, we'd say this now. So any questions about those first three commandments? Does it make sense what they it does, are? Does yeah. Okay, so here's a here's a, a little thing then. Some evangelicals, and I think you could explain this to second graders, will say about Catholics: you renumbered the Ten Commandments, you you changed the Ten Commandments. What would your response be to that, Peyton? No, I'll tell you then. I'll give I get. So the this sounds kind of strange. The Decalogue, remember, it's not called the Ten Commandments. That makes it look like it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Actually, it doesn't have a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It has ten words. Um, and the ten words come up twice in the Bible, in Exodus and Deuteronomy. Well, for some reason, I don't really know the history. The early Christians chose Deuteronomy version, the ten that are in the Deuteronomy that are slightly different than the 10 in Exodus. Same points, just slightly different. Does that make sense? So it's not that we chose a different numbering system. It's just that um, they chose the one that Moses cites in Deuteronomy. Um, and when Protestants broke away from the Catholic Church, just to be different, they chose the one that's in Exodus 20, which is slightly different. Um, so um, my only point being is that even the Jewish ones, uh, when the Jews mention the Ten Commandments, they have a different numbering system because there's no numbers connected to the Ten Commandments. It's ten words. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's like if I give you a whole paragraph and you put a number on each sentence, well, you could put different numbers because there's multiple sentences. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, so... The answer would be if somebody says, well, you Catholics renumbered them. Well, no, we didn't. No. We just choose the very ancient way of the ancient Christians decided on Deuteronomy's 10, uh, numbering 10 versus okay. Exodus. So there's different numbers. So there's not an exact, does that, but there's the thing that is exact is, well, you know, if you're keeping God the center of your love life. Yeah. You know if you're misusing religion. You know if you're not really keeping the Sabbath holy. Yeah. So, right. make sense? Yes. It does. Any questions? No. Okay, well, thank you, you so much. pretty well. <laughs> well, thank you for being here. And next week, we will cover some more commandments. So, God bless.